everybody, happy Gen Con week. Uh, you're here with the Board Game Mechanics. As always, I am Joel, and with me is... Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jason. Hey Jason, I think we're both Gen Canting. I, I was going to go down to the con one day, and I might still, but man, I'm really busy with work junk. With work junk. I, I, was, I think I was going to say stuff, and then junk came out, so stunk. <laughs> work stunk. <laughs> Yeah, I'm playing at another camp, so I can't go either. But uh, I couldn't really, I couldn't really justify the eighty bucks for one day plus parking plus maybe having somewhere to stay. Yeah, I, I don't. Know, it was a lot of money for one day. Well, we'll talk maybe more about this in news, but yeah, we'll just talk more about it in news. All right, so let's get into the news, and we're going to start off with um, a nice, amazing game. Well, I don't know if the game's amazing, but the theme is amazing. It's a cartoon from my childhood, mm. and it is called Wacky Races, and that is coming out from Simon. It'll be hitting Kickstarter later this year. Can I, can I tell you about this real quick? Yeah, go for it. I don't know anything about the game, and I've never liked a racing game, so this one has every chance to be the first one I ever like, because I, honestly, <laughs> I mean, like... I don't know. I've never liked a racing game and I hope this one is good. Um, but I, this is a similar story. I like wacky races a lot too. And so I was kind of craving watching some wacky races a few weeks ago. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to order the DVD box set cause it's pretty cheap. <laughs> I saw that. It was awesome. And I got it and it's the 2017 series. I was so disappointed. It's not uh, bad, but it's not the original. That so, stinks. Yeah. It looked the same. That's tricky. Those jerks. Yeah, I know. Well, and then if you get Boomerang now, you can watch like all the old episodes, but it's the only thing on Boomerang that's any good, and it's a sub of like $40 a year. Well, let's not go that far. I mean, there is the racially insensitive Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan. I mean, that show is pretty awesome. I don't know that one at all. <laughs> it's essentially Scooby-Doo, but everybody's Asian, and like stereotypical like terrible drawn cartoon asian <laughs> it's horrible well and then the the i don't know the censored 11 i don't know if you know about that but there's 11 mary melodies cartoons that warner brothers will not allow to be aired anymore because they're just rough <laughs> right and they are That's crazy youtube <laughs> anyway uh yeah wacky races looks pretty cool did you look at the gameplay at all can you do you know anything about that uh, I read what Simon posted. Essentially, everyone's playing a card, like a terrain card of where they want to go in the race. And they're also trying to throw traps on Dick Dastardly, who's like the AI that the game is trying to play. So you're racing against everybody else, and Dick Dastardly is the AI of the game trying to get in your way. So it seemed kind of cool. I mean, it said it was a really light family weight game, which yeah. is interesting for Simon. So we'll see. Well, and like racing mechanics, you can only take so to such like levels of complication. So, I mean, Formula yeah, G true. does it about as heavy as I think you're going to do it with the gear shifts and the repairs and whatever. That's I mean, true. I don't know. I, uh, I, I just like even that one, which is the most classic racing game. I didn't really get into it that much because there always is a lot of luck involved. And then Jamaica, I know certain people love that game. I never got into it. I just didn't think it was good. Yeah. I, I liked it for like the first four or five times. Then I was like, eh, this is kind of boring. <laughs> I, I wonder with it being a cartoon and a family weight game and being, you know, like a lot of fun for the kids. I wonder if they put miniatures in there because that'd be really neat if they put miniatures in there, like almost like little toys for the kids to play with. It does have and, it does have miniatures, miniatures of the cars no, and all the people. From, yeah. from Cool Mini or not, they're putting miniatures in. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, big shock, I know. 
Is, and I wonder if this one's going to be a Kickstarter because I know they're moving away from it. Like, yeah, I think they said August or October or something of this year for Kickstarter or not Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Ugh. Is Gizmos going to be a Kickstarter too, or did that one just sneak out? Yeah, I think that one's already out. I think that's releasing officially at Gen Con. Yeah. So I know a few other games that are definitely moving away from from Kickstarter, but stuff that might be a little more wacky and off the wall, like wacky races, they might be doing Kickstarter still. I'm guessing just because they don't know, you know. Right, yeah, yep. Yeah, cool. All right, so the next game is a game that we've given a wrench rating to, and that is the 10th anniversary edition of Pandemic. Mm. So this is essentially Pandemic, but it has a metal box. I know people love metal boxes. And it has wooden bits, because I guess the original like first edition had wooden cubes or whatever. Yeah. And it has minis for your characters instead of the little like colored pawn. And it has new graphic design on the cards and such. I think I just sold my first edition of Pandemic. It Everything was just bigger in it. Like the cubes were bigger and they were wooden and the Petri dishes were big. Um, yeah, pretty cool. I, I I don't like this game, but it's cool that it's getting a 10th anniversary edition. It's not cool they're putting it in a metal box. Now every Matt Leacock game can come in a metal box, I think. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Forbidden Sky is in a metal box too, I think. Is it? Oh yeah, that that's that's releasing at Gen Con too. Yeah. Oh cool, another pandemic. Yep. I haven't looked at it at <laughs> all, but I'm sure it is. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. I looked it up. Um, all right, and the next game I have is a reprint from an old Z-Man game, I believe, and that's Arboretum. And Renegade is picking that up yeah. and going to do the reprint. And the pictures of it are really pretty. I think the art is beautiful. It's much better than the old version for sure. Well, and then there's a deluxe edition coming out. That's like kind of the news that happened last week, I think, that there's like the $20 version you can get and then the $35 that comes in a wooden box, which is funny for a game about trees. <laughs> yeah, that, that is pretty funny. I think I just looked at the original one. I didn't look at the deluxe one because it's a card game. Why you need a deluxe card game? Right. Because I like honestly, <laughs> every card game I get, I'll have to do a video of this sometime. Um, I'm running out of time for videos this summer, but I need to, I want to get, I want to get at least two up this, maybe three this week. So I'm I'm going to get up. If you're listening to this on Friday, maybe look at the YouTube channel and see if there's a, a ton of videos. Hopefully I did those. Maybe not. But um, anyway, one of them I want to do at some point is my photo bins that go in this like suitcase thing. Um, it's so good for storing small games in it. I think I've brought it to uh, board game uh, mechanic cons, BGM cons before too. But it's cool because you can store like 40-ish games in like a uh, slightly bigger than a regular size board game box. Um, so yeah. every time I get a card game, I just toss one in there and the plastic bins protect the games better than a cardboard box. So that's true. I don't know. I, I, uh, I like that a lot, but if I get Arboretum again, which is a big if, if I can get it on a big sale for nine bucks, I would probably get it, but I don't know that I would pay 20. Um, I would throw it in a plastic bin. So I wouldn't care about that wooden box anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the last game I wanted to talk about is on Kickstarter now. I think it has like 20-some days left. And it's called Atlantis Island of the Gods, and it's by Red Imp Games. And I only wanted to talk about this because there's not really a ton of games that have the Atlantis theme, which is kind of weird because people have been fascinated with Atlantis forever. So I just figured they'd plaster that theme on everything they could. Yeah, um, Atlantis Rising was the one that I thought looked cool, but I don't know that it has anything to do with Atlantis hardly. So Yeah, yeah. This Atlantis game, I think you're building temples to the gods 
and you can build the temples like all the pieces can interconnect in different ways to make different shaped temples for different people i don't know if it necessarily matters but you're just trying to be the person who has the biggest like kingdom in atlantis or whatever they're calling it province and it's just a i think it's like a medium weight game and it's like 29 dollars, which is kind of cool so i figured since it was cheap and looked kind of interesting i would talk about it I just want to spitball a little bit about what's coming out at Gen Con. So half the reason why I'm not going to Gen Con is my personal life is pretty busy around then. Like I have all summer off and then my school corporation's like, hey, you got to come in when Gen Con starts. So that's kind <laughs> of a bummer. But I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the hotness stuff for Gen Con and nothing on there. I'm like, oh, wow, I got to get a chance to grab that before it's going to be out in retail in a month and a half, you know? I mean, nothing on this list does that for me. Root might be cool, but I passed on the Kickstarter on it already, you know? So, yeah, Root seems cool, but it's more take that than Vast. And I think Vast is kind of take that-y. So, yeah, I I passed that one over. And then Coimbria is, is available. It was available at Origins, too, in limited you know, availability, but you pre-ordered that on kick on uh, cool stuff, right? Yeah. For $25 less than at a con. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> oh, and then by the way, I'm a bad friend because I just saw this. Um, it was a post that was a couple of days old and it already expired. Lisboa was deal of the day on card house for 55 bucks. No, 52 what? bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You, you are the worst. <laughs> so yeah. we missed that one. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, like, honestly, Dinosaur Island I have coming to me in a month and a half or two months in a deluxe edition. Um, Endeavor was at, it's still just a demo. I mean, Fireball Island's still in the demo stage. Museum's still demo stage. If Museum was coming out for sale, I'd be like, oh, that looks cool. I might grab that. That game's awesome. I mean, that's, that's, man, Gizmos is for sale. They had demos of that at Origins. It was cool, but it's nothing that I'm like, I've got to have that now. I don't know. I don't know if I've just seen enough stuff in the world of board games that it takes a lot to get my attention now, or if it's just, it's not an impressive year so far. Um, and 2017 was a great year. It's going to be hard to follow that up, but I don't, I, I guess at some point it had to happen where games just weren't going to appeal to me in one year. So, yeah, I think, if, I think if we wait between Gen Con and Essen, that's where all the stuff's going to start popping out, all the I good hope. stuff. Yeah. If you give me a hundred dollars and say spend it at Gen Con on games, I'm getting Coimbra probably, and I'm probably yeah. going to get Reef. And both those games you can pretty readily get online. I mean, like, they sell out. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So that's another part of it. I mean, I could probably could go in on, you know, like, now and really work a long day and stuff and try and figure out things in advance to get down to the con. But I don't know. I just – the other thing, too, is I've done Gen Con a few times, and then I did Origins this year. And all right, Jason, pat yourself on the back. Um I think Origins, I'm ready to admit, might be the better con. For me at least. I, I hate yeah. I hate crowds. I hate being treated like cattle. And I mean like I, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like it just feels like when you're in the con at when you're in the the, the expo halls at Indy in Indy, it's so big. It's just huge. There's, you know, two, three times as much stuff there, but there's four or five times more people there. And it's just like Shoulder to shoulder the whole time, it feels like. And like, if you want to start looking for like certain games to pick up at cool stuff's, you know, booth or whatever, you've got to be like kind of a jerk and push people around and stuff. And I mean, that's my experience. I know people other than that have different experiences, but I don't know. I just, 
it wasn't it, it's it's not for me really i mean and then i don't know i have a good gaming group here to a second so i guess i'm lucky that i don't need a con to have a good group of people to play games with and actually right, my favorite yeah. board gaming is are the bgm cons which i mean i could see those growing i can see some more local people tagging rides and going to our bgm cons which to me is as much fun as any real con so agreed yeah it, yeah because that's what i want to do at a con is play games really i don't want to buy things a ton I want to demo the hotness and just play games with friends. So Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, now we're in the age of YouTube, and Rodney Smith has a how to play the game. The first day it's even announced anymore, it practically feels <laughs> like. So, I mean, right, you get yeah. a real good idea of the games without going to cons. So, I don't know. I'm not trying to say don't go to cons, because they're a really great experience, and they're really fun. And it's a, you know, it's a great experience. It's just, it's a blast. And if you're going to be at Gen Con... I guarantee you're going to have a good time and have a lot of fun there. Um, but I mean, I think this would be my fifth one and fifth or sixth. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I, I really want to do that, you know? So anyway, origins was such a good experience too, for me that it kind of soured Gen Con for me. Yeah. I've never gone to Gen Con, but I've, the, the crowd's like four times what it is at origins. And that right there turns me off. And I like that at origins, like, we walked right up to museum and played a whole entire game of it. Didn't have to wait in line. It was like Saturday. Walked right up, played the game, left, walked right up to another game, played it. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, you can play a ton of games at Gen Con for sure. And the other thing too is if you're a first year pr- person at Gen Con. Okay. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you guys a couple pro tips for Gen Con. One, all your standard stuff. Take care of your hygiene. Cause I didn't smell the stink at Origins too bad, but you will smell it at Gen Con. Like there's going to be a few <laughs> folks that just smell. Um, and you ruin it for everybody. Like you make that stereotype perpetuate and it just smells bad and it's, oh, it's icky. <laughs> so that's one. Yeah. Uh, you know, sleep and drink water. And if you want to drink other stuff, that's fine. But just understand it's going to impede your gaming the next day. Um, right. Yep. But then uh, the other piece too is the thing that's different about Gen Con than other cons I've been to is it's kind of spread out. So there's, there's like the Marriott that has some stuff in it. And there's the main expo halls that have stuff in it. And then there's rooms all throughout the convention center. So like Rio Grande has a game that's away from everybody else or has a, has a room that's away from everybody else. I mean, I know like indie boards and cards even, like little companies like that have had their own demo rooms before. And so just go look for those other demo rooms. And you a lot of times it looks like you'd think you'd have to have a ticket to go in there, a generic or something to go in there. But a lot of the times you don't have to. If it's a company's room, generally you don't need tickets. You just go in and play. And so that's a really good chance to get out of that crowd and take a break from that is is to get a play in those rooms. And that feels more like you're playing at like a like board game group at a library or in a church or something. Because there's maybe 50 people in there at, you know, 10 to 15 tables and people showing you how to play the game. So that's a really cool thing about Gen Con that you will find. Um, the other thing too, this is a huge pro tip for you. If you wait until Sunday, nobody wants to bring the games back with them. So you're going to get a better deal. So there's some people who sell like, in particular, Rio Grande games. They liquidate them. If you just make absurd offers to them the last day, they're going to they're gonna think really hard about if they don't want to take your offer because shipping that back is going to cost them money or they can make money off you selling that game. So uh, don't be afraid to lowball a little bit the last day, I think. So... Uh, and then I, I don't know, they weren't at Origins. I don't know if they've stopped doing this now, but I always remember going to Cool Stuff. They always hold back some dings and dents for cons. And so they've got a huge rack of like dings and dents. And I remember when Kemet came out, 
I got Kemet for like 25 bucks the year it came out. So you can find pretty good deals on dings and dents at the Cool Stuff booth. So those are a few of my little tips. Um, now that it's Friday morning and Gen Con's been going for two days, if you're listening to this, um, those are my tips. But um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you had fun. I'm sure you're having fun if you're there. And I'm not judging anybody for going. I'm just, I'm not going to do it this year, I don't think. Yeah, I thought about it, but I ultimately had some other life stuff come up. So Right. I, yep. I think you should go sometime, Jason. But I mean, like, if it's going to make life crammed for you or complicated, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's That was my thoughts as well. That's how all of life is, I think. This is our hobby. We've got to make sure we, you know, keep keep life in balance. And we should probably do that as a topic sometime on the show, that we need to, you know, spend time stimulating our brains other ways and spending time with people not just playing board games. And I know it's hard sometimes. I get really stuck in a rut where I get obsessed about just playing board games all the time. And it makes me not a great person sometimes. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, somebody did suggest that when I asked for comments on what the show should be about this week. Yeah. I think my wife (laughs) said, do it on Board Game Widows. (laughs) Yeah, she did say that. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, anyway, that's I didn't have anything for news, really, Jason. I just had a like weird rant to go on, I guess. All right, so now let's get to the stuff that everybody wants to hear us talk about. And well, maybe they don't, but this is the stuff I like to talk about. And we're going to talk about stuff that we played recently. I don't know if it's been in the last week or not, but yeah, recently. Um, so the first game I played actually is a fairly new game called The Mask of the Red Death. I don't know if you've heard of this or know anything about this. I know nothing about it. All right. So essentially what this game is, everyone's a character from the Edgar Allan Poe story, Mask of the Red Death. And you're moving around this building that has like six or seven rooms. And there's a pile of cards in this deck that have a color and a time. You're trying to figure out when the mask or when the Red Death is going to hit at midnight, 1210, 1230, 1240, and 1250 what two rooms he's going to hit. Cause if you're in those rooms at those times, you're going to die. So you're trying to deduce what the two cards in each of those time slots are. So you're not in those rooms in one of his movements. And you're going to do it over, I think like 16 rounds. That's all you play. You play 16 rounds. One, you play one card each round and you have to figure out as much as you can by playing 16 cards. Wow. It's super, it's super fun. It's intense. Cause once it hits midnight, cause you have to pre-program everything before it gets to midnight. So once it hits midnight, whatever your programming is, whether you're going to move to the room to the, your right, to the room to your left, or you're going to stay in the same room. You have to do that before the clock hits midnight. So it's tricky. It's tense. And when we played it, every single one of us died. <laughs> really? So the, the Red Death one. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. Um, it sounds interesting. These, these kind of, I don't know, I guess hidden roll or kind of like read the room kind of games are growing up. And every one of them seems like it's adding a new kind of cool mechanic onto it. So pretty cool. Yeah, this one actually kind of feels like the card mechanisms in Mystery of the Abbey. You know how um, like you're passing around cards and you're looking at all the cards from other people? It's like that, but you can't write anything down. So you have to remember everything that you've seen. Huh. That's the hard part. That that uh, does seem... I have a terrible memory, so I'd be really bad at this game. Yeah. I, do- I saw a card... <laughs> I saw a card like the first round and then I forgot what it was by like round three. (laughs) Can I like pull my phone out and like take a picture to have a record of what I've seen? Uh, That's the only way I have a chance at this game. Well, cool. Yeah, that's 
That's what we decided. We were just going to try it, writing it down next time to see if it's still bloody hard. Gut, gut impressions. What do you give this game wrench wise? Oh, it's good. I mean, it's probably the best game like that that I've I've played, and it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's like an hour, so I'd probably give this a four, four and a half. It's good. Wow, that's good. Cool, and it doesn't have any worker placement in it, which is really good for you to give it a four and a half. Yeah, it's literally just playing a card and moving your guy around to make sure that you're going to know as much about what's going to happen at midnight. That's it. But it's super fun. Well, speaking of not overstaying its welcome, I got to play Ticket to Ride New York. Uh, nice. Yeah, not a bad little game. I uh, played it with just my wife. Um, they actually, so if, I, it might be done by now, but they had a preview code where you could get 10% off of board game orders on at Target. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I went ahead and picked this up. Um, they had a copy left in my local store, so I was able to get it there, uh, like local pickup. But it's it's exactly Ticket to Ride. The only thing that makes it a little bit more strategic or different are there are just certain like uh, scenic stops that you can get extra like tips or a little bit of like extra points from. So if you're connecting a bunch of these little like scenic places or tourist attractions, I guess they call them, um, you get additional points. So it's the way how they kind of you know how every Ticket to Ride has their like kind of gimmick on. Like Germany slash Markland has the passenger who rides and they've got the tunnels in Europe and they've got, you know, like rails and sails has the boats. Well, this one's just got right. these. Everyone kind of has the same route you're all kind of going for because you're trying to connect these little uh, seating places. But the game plays so quick. So I think you probably have literally half of the amount of taxi cabs as you get trains in the regular game so it just goes really quick and the routes are always like three to eight cars long so every route every route is is you know three four one two threes and fours it seems like with very few threes and fours a lot of ones and twos on the board so you got to quickly you know establish what routes you're going to take what routes you're going to take um and it's it's super quick i think we played a two-player game in about 20 minutes and uh it's just it was it was over as quick as we started, and it just feels enough different. It's familiar for sure, but it has a change up in the gameplay to keep it a little bit fresh. That you can't hoard your cards and save them to the end because the game gets over too quick. And there's so many little like one one train or one car, I guess, routes now that you can't just set on them. You, and they're so important. You you can't you have to be so efficient on your routes. So it's it changes up the gameplay enough that it makes it kind of fun and cool. And it's in a small box. It's a little like uh, almost the size of like Age of Wonders uh, or a Seven Wonders Duel uh, box. So cool little game, cheap too. I think we got it for eighteen bucks. So uh, pretty cool little entry level ticket to ride kind of game with a different layer to it and plays real quick and like a filler type kind of uh, amount of time. So it's lighter than regular ticket to ride. No, it's I wouldn't say it's lighter than ticket to ride. I mean it's oh, okay. It's, all right, all right. No, it's hard to be lighter than Ticket to Ride. Yeah, I was going to say, man, that is really light. <laughs> it's all the mechanics of Ticket to Ride, then adding that tourist attractions thing where everyone's trying to connect into the same cities and or it actually stops. So it's it adds a little bit to it. It's it's not it's not heavier than Markland for sure. Um, it's I mean probably on par with Europe, but just plays so gotcha. quick. Yeah, it seems cool. I like the t- that it's taxis instead of trains. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it is fun. The cards kind of confuse my wife because. I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of my wife, but like the green cards have a green background that is solid green. And then it has mm-hmm. like a like bus, the silver bus with blue windows in it. And she's like, what color is this one? 
That is weird. She was looking at the bus, <laughs> and I was like, I think it's green, given the green background. And she's like, are you sure? Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, it is, because the symbols matched up and stuff. But it's a little weird in the graphic design. But yeah, not a bad game. Um, yeah, that's, that's it's exclusive to Target, too, I believe. So um, look for it there, I guess. That's cool. Target's getting in on the games, man. They are. All right. So the next game I played is kind of an old game. I don't even know how old, but it's at least a couple years old. And that is Parfum or Perfume. Oh, man. Bargain. Yeah. A bargain game to be bought sometimes, too. Oh, yeah. I I love this game. Katie hates this game, but I, there's something about just rolling those dice and trying to make perfume. <laughs> it's kind of fulfilling, I guess. <laughs> Have you played this? No. I mean, like... Uh... I've looked at it for seven bucks, prime ship to my house several times, but the reviews on it are so bad that I've just never played it. I think you're the only person I know that likes it. Yeah, I, it gets bad rap. I mean, it's essentially rolling dice and collecting sets to fulfill contracts. Hmm. That's all stuff I like. I like rolling some dice. I like collecting sets and I like fulfilling contracts. So there's not much to the game. It has like the fresco mechanism where you're picking what time you want to wake up to determine how many actions you get. And when you're going to take your turn. So if you wake up early, you get less turns. If you sleep in, you go last, but you get more actions. So, I mean, I like it. I, I don't know what people's beef is with it. Maybe it's just too simple or too random or something. I don't know. To me, my theory about it is the artwork and the company that put it out. You expect them to do worker placement Euro type games all the time. Right, yeah. And for them to have a game where you just scatter a bunch of dice on the ground and or dice on the table and then kind of try and pick and choose to figure out how you're going to fulfill contracts feels like mechanically it doesn't match the look of the game almost. Like if Yellow would have made this game, it probably would have been a really huge hit and they would have had a cooler theme on it too. But I mean like – Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah. I don't know. That's That's my theory just based on when you were talking about it. I've never played it. It's worth playing once. It's 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 fun. It only takes like forty minutes. It doesn't take forever either. So, I mean, it would be worth trying to see if you like it. It might be too simple. It's pretty simple, but sometimes it's nice to play a little simple game that's just fun. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and retroactively say this. I'm gonna give Ticket to Ride New York three and a half inches. We can do half inches on uh, on this one, okay? So <laughs> three and a half, but maybe pushing four. It was good. It was really good. What do you think about perfume? Um, it's probably. Two, two and a half. I mean, it's not a groundbreaking game, but I still enjoy playing it. Yeah, and it's good that you sometimes talk about games that are new and interesting to our audience, even if you don't love them that much. Yeah, that's. I mean, I didn't really play this this week either, but I played it a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought, man, this this game never gets loved, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it. Did this get taken to camp? Is that when you played this? No, I played it before camp, like the the day or two before camp. So it kind of blended into the. The gaming marathon that I had at camp, but yeah. I kind of had a theory about that, that you were like, this game's only seven bucks. If it gets destroyed in a campfire, I don't care. <laughs> no, I actually took Dice Forge to camp and played it a couple times, which was scary with all those little dice oh, man. pieces. But Yeah, I'll bet you were wishing that you had those rattle bones impossible to pull out pieces <laughs> in that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my last game, Jason, is one of the meanest games I've ever played. Just a nasty, nasty, mean game. So mean. Um, just like it felt bad to play this game because I just clobbered my son at it. Um, and that <laughs> game is Disney's Villainous. <laughs> so, oh, you got to play that? That's awesome. I actually wanted to play this. Yeah. Yeah. I picked up a copy. They had it at our Target. So I got the last copy of that as well. Um, 
for how cheap this game is, again, 10% off, there's a ton in that box. And it's actually a pretty fun game. I'm not going to lie. Um, every It's a villain. You're all playing as a villain. And you have an objective that stays fixed the whole time that you're playing the game. So um, Prince John wants to have 20 power. He just wants to be rich. And Jafar wants to control the genie. And uh, let's think here. Uh the queen from Alice in Wonderland, the queen of hearts, I think uh, she, she wants to make a wicket on, on. And so there's a certain mechanic to do that. So everybody has totally different objectives they're trying to do. And they have a totally different deck of cards. They're trying to a totally different deck of cards. They're trying to go through to try and figure out how to make this happen. And then you also have a secondary deck of cards that other people flip over for you and they cause you harm. They cause you problems that you have to overcome. And it's pretty neat. That mechanic is simple, but it, it's so unique that every every de- everybody has their own unique deck of cards. Everything just plays differently all the time. Every player count feels way different. This game kind of feels bad at two players because you just go back and forth. Whereas when some person's like running away with it, you can't exactly hammer somebody back to back to back times on getting these bad fate cards. But you can every other time hammer that person kind of give other people a break so that way you guys can catch up. Um, but it's just a cool game, a cool, really cool game. And this is like, it's by Wonderforge, which they've made great games like Pictutopia and like <laughs> Pretend Clue. And I don't know, I can't really think of any great Wonderforge games, but um, they make this game now. And the only complaint I have about it is... This game and then like several other big box type games, they they make these games where it's um, it's like instead of shrink wrapping the game, they put these stickers on the bottom of them. And I hate it because when you go to like cut them or like break the stickers, you end up tearing your box a little bit. So I don't know. It's just uh, huh. it's just it's just yeah, a is- bad deal. But other than that, it's great. Isn't the designer of this game the same designer that did Bob Ross? Um, it might be. I know it's the it- person who did Battle of Battle of Hogwarts, um, or something like that. Um, it's uh-huh. actually it's a pen name for um, Prospero Hall or something. Yeah, Is that him? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a person. I think it's like a design corporation. Oh, uh, I, I got. But gotcha, I think I they gotcha. did actually do Bob Ross, and um, they did they did a Harry Potter game like the Battle of Hogwarts or something like that. But I think they did that under a different name. Um, they also did hmm. the Choose Your Own Adventure House of Danger game, which is uh, another one that's oh, pretty yeah. hot coming out. Um, that's cool. So they're kind of they're kind of hitting gold here a little bit, and I think these are all kind of target exclusives too. So, um, hmm. so good for them, I guess. Um, but I, I man, this game's fun. <laughs> it's cool, and the theme adds to it. I mean, for sure, uh, the components are pretty cool. The artwork on it is great. The artwork, so this is how I'm going to pay this game some pretty high compliments. The artwork on the game is, it reminded me a ton of Grim Forest, and the artwork on Grim Forest is so good. I mean, like, you know that. And Yeah, that's that's Mr. Cuttington. They're awesome. And and then, uh, and then, so the artwork and design on this looks very similar to Grim Forest. I mean, just very similar. The color palette and everything. And then the gameplay is just... Uh, <laughs> At times it reminds me of Magic the Gathering. At times it reminds me of Scythe because you have these like choices in front of you of like spots that you have to go to, and then there's actions related to those. Um, it's just it's a good game, a really good game. Wow, that's crazy. I wasn't expecting it to be like that good. Actually, I I, I just thought it was going to be generic. Jason, listen, man, 
<laughs> Four and a half inches plus right now. That's what I'm giving this game. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. and its average rating right now, if you look it up on Board Game Geek, it doesn't come up with a rating because it only has like, I think, 15 ratings, but the ratings exceed nine. So they don't like have it up there. Like it's wow. like rating is like nine point something. So that's nuts. Yeah. I mean, I've yet to hear somebody say, ah, oh, the game's kind of bad in this regard. Like, I don't, <laughs> the other thing too is that big word Disney on the front will keep the like, War gamers away right. who would be like, this game clearly has balance issues. When you play the Jafar Abu combination, it clearly right, breaks yeah. the game. I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty good though for a big box game. Really good, actually. So, uh, and I, you know what? I'm gonna tell you right now. I feel like this is gonna be one that it might be like Gamer Monopoly, where it sells out pretty quick and it's kind of hard to find. Like, I honestly can hmm. see that. So. I don't think they were expecting much out of it, and it's it's a really good game. Yeah. I mean, I've been looking at it, wanting to pick it up. I saw some people complaining that Target had it out on the shelves before the actual release date, <laughs> and they wouldn't let them buy it. So that was pretty funny. What? That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, they put it out if- like three days before the official release date, and then they took it to the counter, and they said they couldn't sell it yet. I wonder if I have it early. I don't know. I got it on Saturday. Yeah, that was the release date. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put a video up of this. So if you're hearing this right now, I will definitely get a video up of this one this week. Uh, and the other one I'm going to definitely get up this week is uh, Iron Rise. I will get a video of that up. That's uh, that's one that we were given a promotional consideration for. I don't know much about it yet. I just know that it looks like a flying, fl- flying frog game because it has Ooh. like photos of people <laughs> as the art. <laughs> nice. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I think I hear my dog barking in the background. Um Woof. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. But, I mean, it's a cheap way to do art, I guess. Just go get some costumes and take pictures. But Right, yep. And, I mean, yep. if I were going to make a board game and just getting started off, I can't say I wouldn't do it. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I'll have a review of that up. Um, it is actually pretty cool. It's going to be on Kickstarter, I think, later this year. And the one I have is a really awesome prototype. Like, they went to great links to get a good prototype to get it for me to play so i owe them a very thorough review and i will have that up this week as well jason i'm not sure zany totally returned this week but i think we're having a little more fun than we had last week um it's i guess it's, (laughs) it's interview season right now again so we have another interview this week um so i we were back with the Zany a little this week. I think even more next week. But Jason, you had a chance to do an interview. I guess without saying anything else, I'll let you get right to it. Hey, guys. It's Jason. And I'm here with Evan Donahue from the Pandemonium Institute. And he's going to talk about a new game that he has coming out called Blood on the Clock Tower. Hey, Evan. How's it going? It's doing all right. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's a it's a good day for an interview because it's rainy and you know how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky I got out to the uh, Ohio State Fed last night instead of tonight. Oh yeah, that is nice for sure. All right, so before we get started, let's talk about how you got into gaming a little bit, just so we can get a little background on you and what you like about gaming, what ca- what caused you to start your own company and all that. So just go ahead and tell us a little bit about that if you would. Well, personally, um, the way I got into gaming is uh, through running a board games festival out of my house. Um, there was a, so I have a, a previous life as a stand-up comedian, um, and in 2013, I was doing a show for the Melbourne Comedy Festival and working so hard at that 
that I had no time to do anything fun. And I just thought to myself, you know, when this thing is over, I'm not just going to have a games night. I'm going to have a whole week of games. I'm going to run a <laughs> festival out of my house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. yeah. And all my friends are like, Evan, you're insane. Why don't you start with a weekend and then we'll see how we go. And I'm like, fine, I'll do a weekend and you'll see that a week is what we need. And then at the end of three days of gaming, we were just all nearly dead. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it became my favorite thing to do just to go full maximum. Just We opened the house up for the whole three days. We set up about eight or nine tables, uh, just put a public event up on Facebook, nothing fancy, and whoever wants to turn up and play games can. Um, and from doing this, I ended up meeting uh, a whole lot of people in the gaming industry, people who love playing games, people who love designing and creating games, uh, including Steven, the, uh, the designer of Blood on the Clock Tower. I ended up coming to the second one of these that I ran, the second Salisbury Festival of Board Games, um, and had at that night the a very the early version of Blood on the Clock Tower where we played it the very first time. Uh, so I guess I got into gaming uh, much like I get into anything else. Uh, my favorite thing is meeting people and having fun with my friends and socializing. So I enjoy uh, those activities that help facilitate that. And gaming is is one of those things. So yeah, it's a, it's a sociable and fun thing that's fun to do with people. So that's why I'm here. So did uh, Stephen? What's Stephen's last name? Stephen Medway. Um, did he come to your gaming group uh, all the time, or just occasionally? Uh, well, no, actually, at this uh, the night, the second Salisbury Festival of board games was the night that I met him. Um, so. We both lived in Sydney. Uh, he, we had a mutual friend who invited him along to this gaming festival. Um, we ended up playing. I think the first game we played together was uh, Cluster, F- which is um, from the Cards Against Humanity guys. Right, um, right. And then we went into a game of Last Night on Earth, where he played all, those, all the zombies um, against me and three other friends playing as the humans. And then he suggested he was like, "Hey, can I?" Uh, I've got this, at the time, uh, werewolf variant that I want to try running. You reckon you could wrangle up some people who might want to play that? Um, so we actually only met that night, and it was through playing this game that eventually became Blood on the Clock Tower that uh, we became friends, yeah. Hmm. That's cool. And so you just decided to, after you did your little, Mel, what did you say, Melbourne? Is that where, where uh, you said it was? Uh, Sydney. So in Sydney, Sydney yeah. yeah. So after you did your little weekend, you decided to just create the Pandemonium Institute, or how'd that come about? Well, uh, basically, Blood on the Clock Tower was a thing that um, we enjoyed playing, uh, quote, Stephen's Werewolf uh, at the time so much that we just kept (laughs) inviting him back to do it. My friends and I were like, hey, let's get that Stephen guy back to have him run that game again. And of course, he was happy to do that. Um, Each time he he came over and and ran this game, he'd made a couple of tweaks, a couple of changes. Uh, I don't think there was any major idea at the time that we would start a company and start a game. It just became this really fun thing that we were happy to to do to pass the time and he kept because his nature is just to mod games he mods every game he comes across um just because he likes to experiment and see what can happen um he just kept modding this one uh kept making his version of werewolf more his own until it became its own game um and so eventually after maybe uh two years or so of this people just kept asking us um, when can I buy this game? When's it coming out? <laughs> we kept having to say to them, sorry, <laughs> it's just a thing that we're doing for fun with us. Uh, but eventually, uh, we got tired of saying no to people. So, um, Stephen asked me if I wanted to help him uh, bring this game into the world and something that we can share with everyone. So, we're kind of on that journey now for the first time. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you said you were calling it Stephen's Werewolf. So- yes. 
we we kind of hit on that the, clearly the game is like werewolf. So go ahead and talk about how the game what how the game plays and how it differs from werewolf because it is really different. So just go ahead and talk about that a little bit. I'll talk about um, a story I like to tell, which I wasn't there for, which was uh, basically outlines the the motivations that he had for wanting to mod werewolf which was uh, a little over four years ago, Stephen was invited to a friend's werewolf night. And he never played any social deductions games before. Uh, he really liked the idea of it, of sitting there and being given that social space to, to, to lie and deceive and, and do all that stuff that's normally frowned upon. Um, and he, in his first game, the first role he got was a villager. And he asks, what does the villager do? And they're like, nothing. And he's like, ah, okay, great. All right, I'll work with this. Fine. No ability. <laughs> I'll manage. Um, and then at the end of the first night, they wake up and they announce, Stephen, you've been killed. And he's like, great, I'm killed. What happens now? And they're like, <laughs> right, uh, nothing. Yeah. You're right. You have to sit in the next room for 40 minutes while we all finish. <laughs> he was like, ah, like he played more games that night and had a good time. But he it was like, it's so close, but uh, it's there's just more that, that could be done. So when he made his version, it started as two things. Uh, one, that players wouldn't be eliminated so that you can still die in the game, but there's no player elimination. Um, and also that everyone has some role, some, some power or knows something, just so that no matter who you are in the game, there's a, a new challenge every time. Uh, and those are kind of where it started from. And from there, it's uh, definitely grown to become its own game. Uh, I suppose it would be similar to Werewolf and other social deduction games in the sense that you do have a hidden role. Uh, you're trying to lie to people or figure out who's lying. Um, but probably the major differences is that uh, it's not ever possible to confirm a player is evil because everyone's in it for the whole game. Um, uh, once you get confirmed as an evil player in social deduction, it becomes slightly less social because people stop talking to you. Uh, so there is a function by which players can be lied to by the storyteller. If they're made drunk or poisoned in the game, they can get bad information. So because it's never possible to confirm anything fully, it's never possible to confirm that someone's uh, fully evil. Um, and also that you're not in, in Werewolf, you're trying to stay alive because staying alive is how you stay in the game. But in uh, Blood on the Clock Tower, uh, one of the major functions of the game is that you're trading lives for information. Uh, there are characters that are even trying to die because they get their information when they get killed by the demon. So you have good players lying about who they are. You have people uh, sacrificing themselves uh, to either save their demon on the evil team or to get information on the good team. Uh, and it opens up a whole new um, strategic mode in, in what can be offered in these games. Yeah. So I was looking, I was doing some research on this and I saw the video that you posted yes. kind of outlining the gameplay. And I'm interested in the storyteller's book. Yes. And could you go into how that became as big as it is and why it's as big as it is? I'm just curious. Okay. Uh, there's any number of reasons why. I, well, firstly, just to clarify, uh, when we kickstart, it probably won't be as big as you currently see on that video. Um, <laughs> that was where we, I was yeah, getting yeah, at, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we are shrinking it down a bit. It has been an asset. If we take it to a convention or a games night and people who haven't seen it before, people have literally looked at that like it's just huge uh, tome and said, <laughs> right, yeah. I want to play that. I don't even know what it is and I want to play it. So as a as it's a <laughs> so it's first function, I guess it is a as a big theatrical fun piece. Um, secondly, it's uh, you can almost think of it as kind of a DM screen. Um, the role of the storyteller in Blood on the Clock Tower is so involved uh, that um, 
we actually liken it more to being the DM in Dungeons and Dragons. Like they're different games, but the level of involvement you have in, in moderation in terms of uh, selecting the characters that go into the game, uh, the information that players get, uh, choosing how to run your town, when to run votes. Um, you're really crafting an experience for players and the role of storyteller is so much fun that uh, we have players in our group in Sydney uh, fighting each other over who gets to be storyteller next. Um, and so we've kind of finding promoting this game that uh, in social deduction, uh, moderator is typically regarded as a bit of a dirty word. Um, but being the storyteller is great fun. But because there's so much information that you have to keep track of, because uh, the game uh, has certain levels of complexity, um, because the moderator is so involved, this grimoire uh, is a perfect tool for keeping track of all of that. Uh, so inside that box, you know where everyone's sitting, what characters they are, what abilities are affecting them, who's dead, who's alive, what's coming up next, what information you're going to give. And there are pieces that signify all of this that you can move around and use at your at your discretion. Um, probably the final answer for why the box is that big is that we are planning on releasing a number of expansions for this. So there are already three full editions of characters that we're going to release with the Kickstarter. So that's probably about 80 or 90 roles to begin with. Uh, and there are about uh, 120, 130 others that are being play tested in Sydney right now. So ultimately, we want all... Uh, six or seven editions of this game to fit into the initial box. It's a bit of space to carry all 200 tokens. Yeah. I know the theme is horror yes. and Cthulhu. <laughs> I, I, I saw a Cthulhu character like Shabba. I can't even say the name. Uh, I thought it was a. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought it was a HP Lovecraft character. How'd you come up with that theme? Or did you have another theme? Or is that just something that Steven liked? Uh, well, there's no um, deliberate specific connection to any HP uh, uh, Lovecraft, uh, uh, Cthulhu. We've been getting some of those comparisons lately because uh, there is a, a, a gothic theme. Uh, there are demons. Um, and it, uh, in some of the later versions, at least, it starts blurring the line between different uh, worlds and genres and things. Um, but uh, there's no one real answer to the question of why it has the theme it has. Uh, at originally, uh, Stephen was modding werewolf, and so there were certain placeholder elements that he liked that could replace werewolves, but that's not really the whole story. That would be like saying um, Star Wars exists and because typewriters exist and Star Wars was written on a typewriter, <laughs> not to compare ourselves to Star Wars. Um, right, yeah, yeah. But the world of Blood on the Clock Tower is kind of in a funny way. It's kind of real. It's serious. It's mysterious. It's somewhat believable, somewhat kooky. Um, it speaks to us at the same time about actual human history and human fantasy uh, without either being too historically accurate or too kind of cartoonishly fantastical. It's gothic, it's cheeky, it's deep. Uh, it, is, it is, I suppose you could draw that comparison to Lovecraft and that there are uh, uh, demons uh, and a blend of human eras uh, with a kind of deep, dark, gothic center. Um, and it gives us a lot of space and a lot of room to play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just just that one character that had the Lovecraftian name, and I I was reading through some of it. Yeah, um, one fun detail that is uh, currently Stephen's favorite demon, just because <laughs> the icon is this gigantic, uh, terrifying <laughs> mouth. Right. Yeah, he loves that giant mouth. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so going back to the storyteller. Yes. Could the storyteller role be done by somebody who's never played the game before, or is this someone who has? like experience expertise playing this game multiple tens, twenties, thirties of times. 
Uh, people have been jumping into the storyteller role, um, usually after playing through a couple of times. So the comparison to Dungeons and Dragons does hold up in this case, where we, uh, who uh, as storytellers, the people who've run the game before, can sit down with a new player and they can be playing Blood on the Clock Tower, knowing everything they need to know with uh, rules wise inside of five minutes. Um, that that part is easy for them, but. Uh, same way that if you are new to role-playing and you sit down in a game of Dungeons & Dragons, the DM could take you through how to create a character, how to go through the story, how to you know do fights and explore and, and, and role-play and stuff uh, in a short amount of time. But to be the DM, you need to read the rule books and know everything that's happening and do that. Um, we find that uh, at conventions, some people will jump in and start storytelling within uh, two or three games. Some people just have a knack for it and a grasp, grasp of it. Um, and we have done a couple of uh, blind playtests with people jumping into the storyteller role just from the rulebooks, and those have been going fairly well at this point. So there is a higher standard of interaction and entry from the storyteller role, but not uh, 20 or 30 plays worth, so no. Yeah, I, I kind of wish I would have played this when you had it at Origins, because Kim, ah, right. she's one of the people who is a part of our board game mechanics family, yes. and my, wi- my wife played it, and they really dug it, so... I kind of wish I would have jumped in there and played it too because I like some of these games. Like I really like Secret Hitler, and it's one of these you know similar type of games. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just it'd be nice to have one that has a little more depth because I like heavy Euro games, and I feel like this one has uh, a little bit more depth than some of the other ones. Yeah, um, that question of depth is is evident in its replayability. And I say to people, I'm not a fan of the game because I'm producing it. I'm producing it because I'm a fan of it. Um, I, whether I was on the team or not, this is still something that I would probably want to play once a fortnight for the rest of my life. Um, (laughs) and yeah, no, with, with our group in Sydney, uh, strategies emerged, there becomes one dominant way to play. Um, but because people, everyone goes that way, because it sort of tends to win, people start enacting counter strategies, uh, against the dominant grain. And then of course, strategies emerge to counter those strategies. So not only is there this level of complexity that makes it replayable just on its own right. But if you spend years getting into it with the same group of people, you go through uh, trends and reactions and responses to each other, and it just makes it just endlessly fun and playable. Like, I have no problem sitting down and doing this for 12 hours in a row and then doing it again a week later. (laughs) So how long does one session of the game take about? Um, So one game, uh, depending on the number of players and whether you kill the demon or not um but a one game going its maximum length you're looking probably at about an hour or so for 10 players um probably the maximum 15 to 20 players you'd be looking at two or more hours usually add about half an hour to any game where there's alcohol involved um and i believe <laughs> yeah, i can see that <laughs> i believe i hold the record for shortest game run where it lasted 90 seconds uh, wow! There is, there is a character that uh, they they have one shot to guess the demon during the day, uh, and if they pick the demon, the demon dies. It's the Slayer, and I just gave the good team a really uh, generous setup that uh, let them find the demon pretty quickly. Uh, and that game <laughs> lasted ninety seconds. I don't think it's been topped yet. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's going awesome. on the box. <laughs> ninety seconds <laughs> to one hundred and fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah, you should. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so tell me a little bit about when this is going to go into production, if it's going to hit Kickstarter, how it's going to be released, and when you think about that will happen. Okay. Uh, right now, we're looking to hit Kickstarter at about January. Um, this is our first time producing any game. Uh, 
Uh, it's both a blessing and a curse that it happens to be this one. It's a blessing because we love it. It's a curse because <laughs> right. it's such a, a large game to produce. Uh, most people first time will go in with like a box of cards that costs, you know, um, 10 or 15 bucks, but we have this, right, yeah. this giant thing. Uh, so we decided, <laughs> we realized that because because um, it started with Werewolf Variant, if people hear about the game, what they might hear a lot of is like, oh, wow, that sounds like a really great version of Werewolf. But it's when people play the game that their eyes glaze over and they go, oh, this is different. I get it now. Um, that we are taking this year to just take it to as many conventions as possible, uh, get it to a bunch of different cities and just let people play it. Um, we're still producing copies by hand and sending them out to uh, friends of ours and uh, enthusiastic storytellers who want to run the game and are being awesome and, and, and find it as much fun as we do. Uh, and so after one year of that, we're, gonna, uh, we're looking to hit our Kickstarter in January um, and hopefully get into people's hands before the end of next year. And in the meantime, we're still going to be um, uh, coordinating uh, our community of storytellers around the world. So there are cities that people can go and play in and and jump into games in regular sessions even before it's released. Uh, that's the plan at the moment. So you guys, I, I know you guys are going to be at Kickstarter, or um, not Kickstarter, I know you guys are going to mm-hmm. be at Gen Con. I'm, well, I'm yes. assuming. Because I saw that you made Geek and Sundry's top 12 anticipated games at Gen Con. Yeah, so yeah. That's pretty that exciting. Was, that was that was really cool. That was um, something that, to be perfectly frank, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um that wasn't anything uh, that that was flagged to me in advance, but we've appeared on their radar, and we're just thrilled to bits. There's been a lot of uh, nice little uh, uh, cheering and 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 excitement about that uh, on the back end amongst the community in Sydney and the people producing the game and and all over really. So uh, we're you know, all props to Geek and Sundry. We love that they that they noticed us and shouted out about us, um, and we're really excited to hit Gen Con. Yeah, yeah. The nice thing about Geek and Sundry is they have you know millions of fans and a lot of the fans that they have aren't even gamers so that's going to like bring a whole new audience to your game potentially so that's exciting for sure absolutely one thing we've found with uh blood on the clock tower is that um it is a game that people who uh aren't quote-unquote gamers will get into and get into heavily uh because it is um uh, a highly social game because uh, the reasons I outlined for me getting into gaming that I just like people and want to find fun things to do with them. Uh, Steven had the same approach getting into gaming. Um, and so between us uh, and the other people we have on the team, we just love people. And so I think that reflects in the kind of game it is uh, where gamers and non gamers alike will just come in and socialize and have fun. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'll, uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out on the Kickstarter and we'll give it a couple shout outs on our page oh, and, try to help you out and get it funded as quickly as we can here oh man that would be so cool we would just appreciate that so much yeah all right so now that we've gotten all that out of the way let's tackle some fun questions okay cool i'm ready let's do it all right so i I have i'm going to give you two options you're going to pick one okay and you don't have to give it a lot of thought just say whatever you think you need to answer okay okay so australia or ohio australia (laughs) good answer i'd probably pick that too (laughs) um Flying or driving? Uh, flying. Board games or card games? Uh, board games. Although I am I am a, a poker fan, but I will go board games. Poker is good. Um, hot dogs or hamburgers? Oh, hamburgers, a thousand percent. I stopped eating hamburgers for a month before coming to the States on this trip because this is the land of hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, there are some excellent hamburgers here. Um, let's see. Um... All right, uh, this will be the last one. Okay. 
Secret Hitler or Blood on the Clock Tower? Ah, uh, it's going to have to be Blood on the Clock Tower. Very sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's one. a good that's a good answer. I like to give that to everybody who I interview to see where their loyalties lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's that's all I have. Thanks for uh, coming on and talking about your game, and I wish you the best at Gen Con. I wish you the best with your Kickstarter, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in America. Uh, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun to come on the podcast and and fun talking to you. Thanks for thanks for a good time. Yeah. Super cool, Jason. We uh, are starting to get. I mean, I feel like. This is to me, I, I man, okay, I'm gonna be like real secretive about this because I don't want people to know this. Like to to me, Jason, and I think to you too. I feel like we're just two dudes having a lot of fun making a podcast, and I don't know that I take myself very seriously. We're getting people on the Geek and Sundry Top and Twelve list to come on our show and do interviews. How cool is that? <laughs> and I mean, I guess yeah, like Vidal Lacerda did interview too. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and Jamie Stegmeyer. I mean, come on. But that's pretty cool. I'm really happy to have this guy on there. And you know what? This might be one of those interviews that we look back on in three, four years and go, wow, how did we get him our first year? You know, because I think I think it seems like he's a pretty sharp guy. He's got a lot going on for him. He might be a rising star in the whole industry. So we'll, uh, we'll be excited to watch his career, I guess. And that was a cool interview, Jason. Good job. Yeah. I'm ex- um, I know Katie and Kim demoed this game. And it was a cool take on social deception, as he calls it. But social deduction, as everyone else calls it. And like you, it's like werewolf, you die, but you don't really die. So more of the same, but with a little different twist. So yeah, and being on Geek and Sundry's list, that always helps game designers make it to the next level because for sure Geek and Sundry have a billion followers. So For <laughs> sure. Well, they've got the the muggles too, man. The muggles look at that stuff too. So that's true. Not just that the is board true. game geeks. Um so social deduction games next BGM con, which needs to happen soon. Uh, I want to get us get a chance to get a game of uh, leaders of Utopia, uh, uh, leaders of Euphoria, in. I think that's a fun game. I think you'd enjoy it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, what like good cop, bad cop, or something. right? Basically, with a little rule tweak, but then also being able to pay royalties to Jimmy Stegmeyer, our favorite dude. <laughs> right yeah and i'll bring mask of the red death because it can play up to seven sweet awesome all right jason well hey uh i uh i hope everyone had a good con if you're listening to this afterwards or you're having a good con but uh i've been joel and this has been fun hey and i'm jason and we'll catch you next week yeah, see ya. <laughs>